0: On the 24th of May, 1970, the Soviet Union started a project that would be known as the Kola Superdeep Borehole. Although it has been long since abandoned, the hole still exists today and measures about 40,000 feet in depth. Be it for research or whatever claim has been told, the Kola Borehole is not the only time Russia dug further than they should have, and several holes can still be found today, unprotected in the desolate Russian wilderness. The biggest mistake of my life is going down one of these holes. A year ago, my work took me to a small Russian fishing village located in Siberia. It's a tiny place populated by no more than 200 people, most of them fishermen or hunters. It wasn't the first time being a scientist had gotten me into strange situations. I'm a geologist, which is not important for the purpose of this story, but I have experience in search and rescue operations back home in the United States. My Russian language abilities were less than satisfactory and considering only two people besides my crew spoke English in the village, it was a challenge to say the least. However, with the right spirit and willingness to share a bottle of vodka, they were some of the friendliest people I'd met in my entire life. I particularly enjoyed the company of the village's only police officer, Vadim, who happened to speak at least a basic level of English. His job mostly consisted of escorting people home after they had a bit too much to drink, although he oftentimes partook in the drinking rather than stopping it. Needless to say, we quickly became good friends. We rather enjoyed ourselves in such a bizarre world, cut off from civilization. At least we did, until the ninth month of our deployment. One of the locals' seven-year-old daughters had gone missing. Her name was Daria, and she had been out playing with her friends around an old abandoned building, widely believed to be a Soviet-era silo. The whole structure had been closed off for almost 40 years and forgotten, yet the children loved hanging out in the area. On that particular day, the silo was open. The doors were broken down which revealed a large room full of ancient equipment and a large, dark hole in the center. The hole measured about 50 meter in diameter and the depth was unknown. There was a basic elevator platform in the center of the hole, like something used for descending mines. All that could be seen was endless darkness reaching into the abyss Daria had fallen into. I immediately knew in my heart that the fall had killed her. A fall that deep, even if the bottom was a pool of water, would be lethal. The other children insisted that Daria had called out for help after falling into the hole, which gave out false hope to the terrified mother. It was the first time I had seen Vadim efficiently work to put together a rescue operation. Calling for official aid so far out was a hopeless task, even if they sent help they would arrive too late. Seeing as I had some experience in that field, alongside basic first aid, I volunteered, as did one of my colleagues, Stanley. While the mechanics attempted to revive the old machinery, including the elevator, I attached a sinker to a line in hopes of measuring the depth. The line wasn't long enough to determine where the bottom was, even though the longest ropes combined measured almost 1,000 feet. After a couple of hours, the mechanics announced that the elevator was ready and that they had also found some protective suits. According to the few documents found in the facility, The atmospheric pressure was quite high and the temperatures reached up to 150 degrees Fahrenheit. I knew then we would retrieve nothing but the body of a little girl for the family to bury. ''Kotov, ready?'' Vadim asked us. The suits were poorly fitted to our slightly untrained figures and chafed in places I didn't know it was possible. We entered the lift, which was protected by a rusty metal cage full of holes. We were given only one walkie-talkie to communicate with the people on the surface, in addition to some old flashlights. We're ready lower us down stanley said the gears running the elevator platform started churning a clunky sound echoed through the room down the hole there was a small screen on the elevator with numbers signifying the depth it was an excruciatingly slow process no more than a foot per second however the change in atmosphere was imminent we descended 100 feet darkness had already enveloped us The weak flashlights we had brought along hardly provided any comfort. You think this is dark? Wait till you see winter in the village, Vadim said. His usual dull humor. Stanley and I both faked a chuckle. Would you please check if the radio works, Vadim? I asked. It works. No worries, he responded. Five hundred feet. The walkie sounded for the first time since our descent almost ten minutes ago. The Russian was heavy, and the static made it incomprehensible to a novice such as myself. What was that, Vadim? I asked. Oh, they just ask how deep we are. Shouldn't we be able to hear them talking? We're only 500 feet down, Stanley asked. Yes, something strange here, Vadim said. Other than the electrical hum of the ancient elevator and the sound of Stanley nervously shifting his weight, we couldn't hear the chatter of people just above us. Very strange, Vadim mumbled to himself. Something about Vadim seemed off. I had never seen him worried like that before. Guys, is it getting really warm here or is it just me? Yeah, I'm sweating bullets already, I responded. One thousand feet. Pomogesia. A soft voice cried out from the depths below. Did you hear that? I hear nothing. I put a finger to my lips, gesturing for silence while listening attentively. Then I heard the voice again. Now, The same voice, but slightly louder. There it was again. Yes, I heard it, Vadim said. Hold on, they called for help? Yes, you heard it too? Of course, but it was in English. It wasn't too unusual for the children to pick up on an English word or two while we were visiting, but this wasn't that. It didn't make sense for a young girl to know that word, not in a tiny Siberian village. Vadim called out for the voice, but no one responded. Damn it, can we make this thing go any faster? 4,000 feet. More than an hour had passed and we couldn't see the bottom yet. It had been quite some time since we heard the voice and I had developed a throbbing headache from the heat. If someone had really called out from the bottom, We should have reached it already. "'Guys, I see light!' Vadim announced. "'What are you talking about?' "'Light! At the bottom! Look!' He frantically jumped up and down while pointing towards the darkness below. "'There's nothing there, Vadim,' Stanley said. "'How can you not see? It's so bright!' I glanced over at Stanley in confusion. My first thought was Vadim was going crazy due to the heat and darkness. Five thousand feet. None of us had said a single word since Vadim told us about the light. Our moods were descending much faster than the elevator. On top of that, my headache was almost killing me. Out of nowhere, the elevator stopped, shaking violently in the process. It knocked me straight to the floor and I was out in an instant. A few seconds passed while I came back to it and I saw Stanley lying motionless next to me. Vadim, however, was nowhere to be found. Stan, are you all right? I shook his shoulder. He grunted as he sat back up. What the hell just happened? I don't know, man, but Vadim's gone. What, where did he go? I don't know, he just vanished. We looked around. There was no way out of the elevator. Although there were a few holes in the metal cage surrounding us, it would still be impossible for a large man such as Vadim to get through. Hey, I found the walkie, Stanley said. Try calling the surface. He called for help, but static was the only response. We tried to call out for Vadim, but he was far gone. The elevator started descending again. Fuck this, let's go back up, Stanley pleaded. I clicked a few buttons on the panel. How? The controls are broken. Only the ones at the surface work. He started screaming for the people up top to bring us back, but we both knew there was no way they could hear us all the way down there. 10,000 feet. It had taken more than four hours to get that deep, the heat getting worse for each foot descended. I had already passed out a couple times from dehydration, despite having brought an ample amount of water. Why haven't they brought us back up yet? Stanley asked with a weak voice. He was quite a bit older than myself so he was rapidly deteriorating from the heat. I don't know, is it even possible to be this far down? Stanley didn't respond. He had fallen unconscious, but I lacked the energy to wake him up. I was about to pass out again. I was only jolted back into consciousness by what sounded like singing. It was the most beautiful thing I had ever heard, in Russian, and I didn't understand what it was about, but it was so serene, so pure. Stan, I called out with my fading voice. Can you hear that? Who's singing? He mumbled, half asleep. A light appeared in the depths, and the singing got louder. I see it! The light! I said. The elevator stopped once more. Stan was gone. Just like Vadim, he had vanished into thin air. But the light remained. The beautiful, warm light. It started moving towards me. And the closer it got, the more at peace I felt. The light ascended until I saw nothing but the brightness surrounding me. Then there was nothing. I woke up in a hospital one week later. I had been found in the middle of a forest in Eastern Russia by a pair of hunters. I had no documentation or proof of who I was, and as they claimed, my story didn't add up. No such hole existed according to public records, which wasn't much of a surprise, but when I dug deeper, I realized the village I had stayed in for the better part of a year wasn't even on the map. The ordeal had taken a toll on my mind, leaving several gaps in my memory though I could recall a few numbers for my colleagues. When I called them, their numbers were all either disconnected or reached completely unrelated people. After a lengthy investigation, I was allowed to travel back to the United States on an emergency travel document. My fingerprints matched some documentation of my existence, which helped, not criminal records, mind you. When I returned home, I discovered that my house was owned by someone else and had been for at least 10 years. It took me a long time to figure out what had happened, but some changes were too big to be a horrible coincidence. Putting aside the personal changes I've experienced here, even world history doesn't match what I remember studying. Geography is vastly different. Heck, there's an entire continent missing from the map. Denial is a powerful tool. It took me months to come to terms with a very simple, yet complicated fact. This is not the world I belong to. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy these stories... Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and check out some more of my episodes here.